Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Good morning. We start this program off as we start every program off with three big things. Number one, we are joined right now on the line by uh, the United States Senior Senator from the from Wisconsin, Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing? I am well. You have not been sleeping a lot this week, I get the impression. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're trying to make sure that we staff uh, President Trump's administration and Democrats are obstructing us, and then they're complaining that he's not rolling things out smoothly. Well, you know, let's work with us. Uh, d- do what other Senates have done, uh, past Congresses have done. Let's let's give President Trump the latitude, the discretion to appoint, and let's confirm uh, members of his cabinet so we can actually get these agencies, departments up and running. He can start governing. Uh, Senator, for people who might not be familiar, for the last several Donald Trump nominees, what, what's happened is the Democrats have essentially decided to engage in a min- mini filibuster, taking as much time as they're possibly allowed under the rules, keeping the Senate in session late at night, and ultimately forcing a vote where almost everybody votes in block against President Trump's nominees, right? Yeah, the result is known, and they're just running out the clock so that we don't have the Senate floor time, for example, to vote disapproval on some of these Congressional Review Act to start undoing some of the regulatory damage that President Trump did, or President Obama did. And, uh, yeah, they are using every minute of uh, post-closure debate time, and that's really slowing down the process. And, again, denying President Trump the advisors that agree with him that uh, will help him govern. Senator, one of the things I've been struck by is the rhetoric that's coming out of Washington with a number of these cabinet appointees. If If Jeff Sessions is appointed attorney general, it's going to be the end of justice in this country as we know it. Some really the over over the top type of stuff. I think so. It was interesting that the PolitiFact in Wisconsin actually said that Tammy Baldwin's comment that we're organizing to to deny Americans health care was mostly false. I'm glad. They, they ruled that way finally. You know, they, they, de- Democrats are just saying things that simply aren't true. They're impugning you know, negative motives to, to Republicans. You know, listen, we, we all want uh, Americans to have access to, to good quality uh, care at, at a reasonable and affordable price. And they just stand up and they make these outrageous statements, and they are rarely called on the carpet for it. I'm glad to see PolitiFact in Wisconsin finally uh, you know, called out Tammy Baldwin for basically uttering an untruth. Senator, one of the the controversies that has developed o- over the course of the week was the the allegations that Elizabeth Warren, one of your colleagues from Massachusetts, was was shut down and this was violating her rights and it was just hurting the image of the Senate. And how dare the Republicans stifle her ability to comment? What exactly happened with that? Well, there's a rule on the, in, in the Senate that uh, prevents one senator from impugning the character and motives of another senator, and it's all meant to make sure that debate is respectful and you know well within the, the bounds of collegiality. Uh, it's a good rule, and if you don't enforce it every now and again, and you know I don't think it's been universally enforced, but every now and again, what, when, when you when you have one side engaged in this primal scream and uttering falsehoods left and right. You know, every now and again you have to say, well, let's, let's, uh, let's call people on this rule and maybe we can get the debate back to, first of all, truthful debate, honest debate, and let's you know, knock the tone down a little bit. You know, one of the things I, I certainly preach during my campaign is that you know, as, as Americans we all share the same goal. We all want a safe, prosperous, secure America. We're concerned about each other. Uh, we all want, want every American to have the opportunity to build a good life for themselves or family. Let's concentrate on those shared goals. 
let's not exploit the differences, and right now that's what's happening. And it's, it's very unfortunate. We, we have enormous challenges facing this nation. It would be nice if we could work together. Uh, Democrats are obviously uh, showing their hand. They're not going to work with us. They're not going to cooperate at all, and that's very unfortunate. Uh, to that point, we're talking to United States Senator Ron Johnson. To that point, uh, President Trump nominates Judge Neil Gorsuch for the Supreme Court. Um, for example, your colleague Tammy Baldwin has said that she's voting against him. She hasn't met him, but she's going to vote against him, and she's going to vote again. She's going to vote in favor of uh, a filibuster. She's not going to do. She's going to do everything she can to stop this matter from coming to a vote. And I, I get the impression there's a number of Democrats who feel that same way. What are the prospects of Judge Gorsuch being elevated to the Supreme Court? Well, first of all, let's take a look at what people like Tammy Baldwin and any other Democrats are going to vote against Judge Gorsuch, what they're saying. They don't want a judge. They really don't want somebody who will have the fidelity and integrity to the law. I mean, Judge Gorsuch, I mean, I'm thrilled because he is a judge. He said that, you know, the role of a judge is to apply, not alter the law. You know, any judge that is, you know, likes all of his outcomes isn't a very good judge seeking to, you know, stretch the law, you know, reach for an outcome he prefers as opposed to an outcome that is required by the law and by the Constitution. That's what a judge is. That's what we want. Now, as a conservative, I want a judge, and I understand that, you know, in confirming a judge, oftentimes I'm not going to like the outcome of, the, of, of his or her ruling because there's a lot of bad law out there. But that's what we expect in a judge. We should change the law through the legislative process, liberals and progressives want super legislators. That's what we're seeing over the Ninth Circuit continuously, including the, the recent uh, uh, ruling on, on the executive order. But that's the problem in the Supreme Court right now. We have super legislators, four of them, and they're always going to vote in lockstep to get the result they want. And then we have conservatives, like Scalia, unfortunately we don't have Scalia anymore, who, who sometimes uh, will vote against the result that he wants, but it's what the law demands, what the Constitution, what the Bill of Rights demands. It's an enormous difference, and I hope the public understands that. And I think that's, uh, to a certain extent, one of the main reasons Donald Trump won is because he said, he published a list of judges as opposed to super legislators. So you know, Judge Gorsuch should have the same type of uh, uh, confirmation vote that he had as a circuit court judge, uh, unanimous, because he is a judge, and he's incredibly respected, highly qualified, perfect choice for the Supreme Court. Now, Senator, I, I know when we've spoken before, you are, are are very aware and adherent to the traditions of the Senate. And I know, I think when we spoke before, I got a sense that you you would be reluctant to change the rules to uh, allow, essentially, an up or down vote on Supreme Court nominees like you have for other federal judges. Uh, President Trump has called for the nuclear option if the matter gets blocked. Is, is Judge Gorsuch, one way or the other, is he going to get an up or down vote in the U.S. Senate? Yeah, we're, we're very confident that uh, Judge Gorsuch will be confirmed as the next Supreme Court justice. That, that, that will happen. Uh, in terms of 60-volt threshold uh, on his nomination or on legislation, uh, the fact of the matter is the 60-volt threshold has, has prevented a lot of bad legislation from being passed. You know, Democrats had the two, two years of a filibuster-proof majority. We got Obamacare, Dodd-Frank, deficits uh, that exceeded trillion dollars per year, mortgage children's future. Now, it's very frustrating for conservatives who have seen government just ratchet up in one direction, and then the Senate is, you know, certainly blocks being able to reduce that burden uh, very quickly. Uh, I think there's all kinds of rules in the Senate that should be changed. Uh, I think if you're going to have a, a basic filibuster, people should have to hold the floor. It should require effort and work on the part of senators. 
So I think there's plenty of things we could change that could really discipline it and hopefully prevent us from taking that last step. We're basically turning the, the Senate into the House, a majority-led body, and then really what, what, it, what would be the purpose of the Senate? But you are confident Judge Gorsuch is going to get confirmed? Yep. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the travel ban. Yesterday, the Ninth Circuit upholds the injunction for the time being. So Donald Trump, President Trump's travel ban is not in place. What do you think about all this? Was there, is, should the ban be rewritten? Is this a matter that maybe the president should come to Congress and try for some legislation? What should happen next? First of all, I think the law is very clear. You know, I'm Chairman of Homeland Security Government Affairs. We've been dealing with refugees, visa waiver. I, you know, President Obama, using his legal and legitimate authority, uh, announced and increased the number of refugees he was going to let in for 2017 from 70 to, I think, $110,000. Nobody challenged him because we realized he has that authority upon consulting with Congress. That's, he basically tells us what he's going to do, and he has the authority. So presidents have a great deal of authority uh, on the refugee issue specifically, but from a standpoint of national security and foreign policy. So I think the ruling is very troubling, and it needs to be overturned. Now, unfortunately, we've got four super legislators on the Supreme Court, offset by four judges, and so I, I think the, the question might be in doubt. So I think the Trump administration needs to be very careful about this. I think we need to have this result, this case, this ruling overturned. But in the meantime, uh, the good thing about the executive orders, there are plenty, place, plenty parts of it, the, the reports, the review of the vetting process, uh, that will continue to, to uh, go forward. And, and, you know, the fact that judges will insert themselves into a national security issue, they don't have the intelligence. You know, President Trump is seeing intelligence. I'm seeing intelligence. I think this order was definitely uh, needed. Okay. Let's put it that way. Okay, you know, there are people that want to do us harm. These are failed states. They don't even have governing authorities that can provide the information, so we know who people are. Identities are are sold very cheap in the Middle East, and we really can't verify this. So I think it's a very appropriate pause. And again, this is a this is a troubling ruling that I believe at some point in time has to be overturned for the security of our nation. So, so let me just make make sure I understand you. So, apart from whether or not this was a judicial overreach, apart from whether or not the president has the authority to issue rulings like this, based on what you know, you think this was an appropriate policy to put into place temporarily halting travel, immigration from these countries until the vetting process can be improved? Yes. Let's talk a little bit about Obamacare. Um, obviously, that that's, was a signature issue that a number of people ran on and were elected on over the years. What, what's the status of that right now, Senator? Well, fortunately, last night, uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, we did confirm Tom Price as the Secretary of Health and Human Services. And you know, Obamacare, when it was passed, I think it was like close to 380,000 words. Well, the regulators, the Secretary, you know, Obama's Secretaries of uh, HHS, uh, have now written about 20 million words implementing it. Those 20 million words affect the insurance markets, our, our health care system. It's going to take you know, a lot of time and effort to unravel and unwind and dismantle those 20 million words of, of regulation that have really reshaped uh, our insurance markets and, and our health care markets. You know, seven years has been the implementation of Obamacare. I think it's unrealistic to think that we're going to you know, have a, you know, one piece of legislation repeal and replace and have it all go away. So uh, we're going to start with uh, now the Secretary using his authority, uh, different executive orders, uh, uh, using the discretion he has 
as the secretary, uh, will have to overwrite bad regulation with other regulation, other executive orders, and then Congress, you know, we will use our authority. You know, we, we vote in the Senate the budget reconciliation process that allows us to repeal big chunks of Obamacare with just 51 votes. But, uh, you know, from my standpoint, I think the process is let Tom Price uh, do what he can do using his authority, his discretion as the secretary, and then I think uh, once we understand exactly what he's been able to do, then I think Congress is going to have to weigh in and use the reconciliation process with 51 votes because, let's face it, Democrats are, are signaling they are not going to cooperate with Republicans on anything, which is very unfortunate. So the message would be be patient to people? Well, um, be realistic. Un- understand the complexity of this. Understand the, the 20 million words of regulation. Understand the seven years of implementation. Uh, Obamacare has been now implemented for over three years. Uh, this this doesn't get unwound overnight. Senator, what's the vibe in Washington now? It, you know, back here, if you, if you turn on, you cannot turn on a newscast without seeing some protest here, some protest there. There's word, there's, there's uh, at least suggestions that when folks like you come back and hold your listening sessions, they're going to be swamped by protesters, these organized activities. And I, I seriously wonder whether these protesters are representative of the majority of Americans or whether this is just a lot of people making a, a lot of noise. Um, what, what's the mood out there? Are the protests affecting yourself, your colleagues? How's it going? Well, they're not affecting me. Uh, you know, we're, we're, I'm voting to confirm President Obama's nominees because, you know, on a bipartisan basis, senators in the past, including myself, have said elections matter. Presidents deserve to uh, surround themselves with advisors that agree with them. You know, cabinet appointees that they're going to implement their policies. So, you know, I, I voted for all kinds of President Obama's. The vast majority of President Obama's nominees, even though I completely disagreed with them on on a host of issues. And so, you know, they're not going to affect my uh, judgment in terms of giving a President Obama the advisors so he can actually govern. Uh, but from you know my standpoint, the, Congress is actually a very collegial place. Uh, as chairman of my committee, in the last Congress, we passed 86 pieces of legislation. In the end, 49 were signed into law by searching for areas of agreement. So I will continue to search for areas of agreement, look for common ground, concentrate on those shared goals and purposes of a safe, secure, and prosperous nation. And uh, hopefully Democrats will cooperate with us from that standpoint. But right, again, right now, it doesn't look good, which means you know, what we need to do is everything we can do without their help. You know, again, I, I would like their help. I would like their cooperation. I'd like to work toward areas of agreement. Uh, they don't seem to be in the mood for that. So, you know, as Republicans, I'm actually appreciating the fact that we have something called the Congressional Review Act. We are using it. We're starting to overturn some pretty harmful regulations, implemented, uh, you know, midnight regulations, uh, to relieve some of that regulatory burden uh, already. Just, with just two of them, I think we relieved a couple billion dollars of reg- regulatory compliance costs. So, you know, from my, from my own standpoint, uh, I'm kind of enjoying the uh, productivity that uh, is before us here over the next uh, number of months. Uh, and let's face it, uh, Jeff, we saved the Supreme Court. Uh, that, that was a big deal for conservatives. We saved the Supreme Court. Senator Ron Johnson, thanks for spending some time with me this morning. We'll talk to you soon, I hope. Have a great day. Okay, take care. United States Senator Ron Johnson, um, several takeaways, but uh, perhaps the most significant is uh, Senator Johnson is confident, definitive, that Neil Gorsuch is going to be confirmed as the next justice to the Supreme Court. 852, we're right in the middle of three big things. News Radio 620, WTMJ. 
654, Jeff Wack, 620 WTMJ. We start off every program with a segment I call Three Big Things, Three Things That I Think You Need to Know About, to discuss at work or at lunch or with your spouse, your significant other, whatever. Um, Ron Johnson, appreciate him joining me. Lengthy conversation about you know what was going on in the U.S. Senate this week. Big thing number two, don't they vet these people? This is an amazing story. The woman's name is Valencia Carthen. She is, she is a principal of Washington High School Information Technology. Okay, this is, she's a principal. All right, here is the deal. She is now also a guest of Milwaukee County. She has been charged with felony intimidation of a witness, according to the complaint that I have in my hand. There's a guy named Jason Cunningham who is sitting in jail, charged with second-degree sexual assault, one count of strangulation, suffocation, and misdemeanor battery for crimes about against a, a woman. All right, what... According to the complaint happens is this Valencia Carthen, the MPS principal, who, according to the complaint, is one of one of they describe her as the defendant's latest significant other. Okay, All right. This is the judgment we have that we have this woman who is the significant other latest significant other of this um, Cunningham character who, uh, according to the criminal complaint, that is besides his wife. And in addition to the mother of his children, including his newborn at the time. So the guy's got a wife. The guy's got um, the mother of his latest child. And he's got the principal. Okay, they are all significant others. Okay, so according to the criminal complaint, she starts visiting the victim and essentially acting as the go-between between the alleged strangler and the victim. And... um. And um, she says that Cunningham knew her where her family lived, that Carthen told her that she knew where her family was in Mississippi. Um, the woman, the victim, finds out that Carthen um, uh, was a principal at MPS, um, knew people. Um, defendant Carthen told the victim she knew people and students around MPS, which caused the victim to fear for her children's safety as MPS students, um, which then kind of, again, further motivated her to perhaps cooperate. What they're trying to do is they're trying to get this victim to change her story or to, you know, take off or whatever. Um, September 18th, 2016, the defendant, that would be the principal at the MPS school, receives a text message from someone named Troy Cunningham that read, need to get her out of Milwaukee, one-way ticket, 148 to $160. She's packed and ready to go right now. So in other words, you've got this Milwaukee MPS principal who is, at least allegedly, trying to work with her dirtbag boyfriend who's looking at charges of sexual assault and battery and all these different types of things um, and trying to convince the victim to leave town so nothing bad happens to her or her family. Just just go figure. Um, <laughs> my, my question about it, and now, of course, MPS says, well, okay, now we've, we, we've suspended her um, while in light of these various charges, which is, of course good that's a that's a good thing that they have done that but bigger point of all this is how did this woman get this gig in the first place do we not vet these people at all before we send them into the schools just saying coming up 
big thing number three, the Ninth Circuit wades in and says no to President Trump. Stick around. It's 858 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 910 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're right in the middle of our three big things segment coming up. Oh, in about 10 minutes, I actually want to replay uh, a f- broadcast, a feature that the Jane just ran. It ties into something I was talking about 30 minutes ago with Senator Ron Johnson, and I want to get your reaction later on this morning. Um, we are going to have our, our weekend review. We do that in the 1130 segment of the program. And... Uh, Also, we're going to be talking about Kellyanne Conway and the trouble she finds herself in, plus all sorts of other stuff. So please stick around. And sometime this hour, I'm just going to tell you when we're going to do it. Sometime this hour, sometime between now and 10 o'clock, we will be giving away one more pair of tickets for you to see Billy Joel at Lambeau Field on June 17th. We've been doing this all week. Uh, The tickets go on sale today at noon, I believe, but you don't have to wait till then. I'm going to be giving away a pair of tickets to see Billy Joel at Lambeau Field sometime in the next 50 minutes or so. All right, big thing number three. And we this is perhaps not surprising, but... It is, as in, though it was inevitable, it is still, I think, somewhat unfortunate. Last night, a three-judge panel in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals based out of San Francisco, probably, I think generally this is considered to be the most liberal court of appeals in the country, unanimously agreed that they would not lift the hold that had been placed on Donald Trump's immigration ban. Donald Trump comes out with the immigration ban saying, seven separate countries, we are going to stop immigration from these countries, temporarily suspend it so we can improve the vetting process. Judge out in Washington state, a federal judge said, nope, that's unconstitutional, and issued an injunction. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals refused to lift the injunction. They haven't ruled on the merits of the case, but they just said, we're going to leave the injunction in place. Now, I have a couple thoughts about this, and we've talked about it extensively. First of all, this is a very dangerous precedent. The law of the laws of the United States give the president wide, wide discretion and authority when it comes to matters of immigration. So that now you have the courts that have decided that they are going to meddle in this under, I don't know, theories that I think are questionable at best and probably have no legal precedence. This idea that, well, even though the president has broad authority in trying to regulate immigration, we're going to say that the states the states have a constitutional right to intervene. That's what they're essentially saying. The argument is, well, if you impose a temporary ban on immigration from Syria, what happens then is that you're now in a situation where, okay, that could affect the rights of people to travel to Minnesota or to travel to Washington, Washington State. If that's the precedent you are setting, like I say, it is extremely dangerous because that does that now mean that every time Congress tries to do something or the president tries to do something, states are going to be able to say, well, this indirectly affects us? I mean, do you really want the state of California or the state of Minnesota to be able to dictate national immigration policy? It is scary in that regard. Now, having said that, I think the way the Trump administration went about rolling out this order, 
invited a lot of these challenges. For example, it is unclear on the order whether or not this affects people who are already in the country legally. Remember, there was a whole issue with people with green cards. Now, if you've got a green card and you're in this country legally to begin with, even if you're traveling then outside the country, well, you're in a different situation than you are if you're just somebody that's trying to come into the country. And you you have a different due process right. Once you're in this country legally, you've got the green card. Before you can be thrown out of the country, there are certain due process things that attaches. And part of the problem, the way the Trump the Trump administration rolled this whole thing out was the order was so broad and nobody knew exactly what it covered. So now the Trump administration is saying, well, no, no, we didn't intend this to apply to green cards. And one of the things the Court of Appeals said is, well, OK, it's fine for them to say that, but that is not clear on the face of the order. So there's a number of different alternatives and route that pre- routes that President Trump can take. One of those and I don't necessarily see him doing this because it is not in his nature. But you could, he could certainly go back. He could render all of this largely moot by issuing a new, more definitive and more specific executive order, which accomplished many, if not most, and perhaps all of the things that he intended to accomplish with the original executive order, but to do it in such a fashion that makes it incredibly clear that that is what he's doing. It doesn't open it up to some of the vagueness. Now, does that mean that the lawsuits would automatically go away? No. But the Ninth Circuit yesterday, for example, signaled that if it were a narrower order, they might have a different conclusion to this. So if I were advising President Trump, rather that if he feels it is important to get some immigration hold in place. I I think it might be worth going back to the drawing boards and coming up with, again, a narrower order that addresses some of these concerns. Because otherwise, you're going to be talking about litigation that goes on for months and months. And if you do not think that this is an opportunity now for people who might be inclined to commit terrorist activities to try to flood into the United States, well, okay, don't and be sure to duck your shoulder after you fall off the turnip truck, because there's no question now that I think the handwriting is on the wall. And you have a lot of people who are now saying, hey, if I'm going to try to get into the United States, this, I better do it now, because at some point in time, whether it's through Congress or whether it's through an executive order or whether it's through winning ultimately in front of the Supreme Court, there are going to be immigration changes that are made. So if I'm going to get into this country, now is the time to do it. And my guess is you're going to have immigrants in general, including some who would like to to do us harm, some, that are going to be pouring into this country, I don't know, like water pours out of a bathtub drain. If that's what's going to end up happening. People are going to be rushing in now before stricter immigration standards go on hold. So it might be in the president's interest to go back, come out with a new, more narrow, and more well-defined executive order and render a lot of this litigation moot. Now, I'm not getting the sense that he's going to do that because he's like, well, see you in court. But maybe if you really believe a hold like this is important, well, maybe, you know, maybe you should try to come up with a better way of approaching this. It won't eliminate all the litigation, but it will eliminate some. So now the Trump administration has a couple choices. Do they try to rewrite the order to make it more narrow and address some of the concerns? Do they seek a rehearing in front of the full Ninth Circuit? Because this was just a three-judge panel. Do they ask for what is called a rehearing in Bonk? To me, that would probably be useless because my guess is, especially since you're dealing with a very liberal circuit, that that's not going to change anything. Do you go to 
the United States Supreme Court to seek a review from the Supreme Court. But right now it's 4-4, and I don't know that there's any guarantee that that would change. Or do you just give up on the travel ban entirely? All valid questions. If I were advising the president, I would say you use option number one. Same idea, different order, more narrowly defined to address some of the constitutional concerns and then move on. It's 921, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. There is no question that Donald Trump has, I don't know, motivated the opposition in a way that I have not seen the opposition motivated since maybe the the early 1970s, where you had people who were united against the Vietnam War who were taking to the streets and protesting. Now it's not so much people that have one particular cause. Rather, this overriding issue is we don't like Donald Trump, so anything Donald Trump does, we are going to fight. Now, one of the reports that was out there, and I actually asked Ron Johnson about this, was as congressmen and senators come back to their districts, there is going to be an organized effort by the professional protesters to essentially bum rush the town hall events in an effort to try to put pressure on the particular congressman or the senator to... Do what the mob wants, which is essentially fight Donald Trump, who was just elected as president. That is already starting. Here's a news account that we played during the uh, 9 o'clock news. The town hall welcome for Congressman Jason Chaffetz. Jeered. Drowned out. I'm trying to be as representative as I can. A crowd of 1,000 viscerally tired of D.C. blather. Why aren't you checking out your own president right now? Another 1,000 people say police outside. Congressman Chaffetz seeing firsthand the national tide of angry voters. The national tide of angry voters. Now, clearly, this particular reporter has this agenda, but you get the idea. What's going on here is you have these are the organized protesters. These aren't the people that voted for Donald Trump. These are the people that don't like Donald Trump. And there are going to be these efforts. And this isn't going to be the beginning of it. This is just the beginning of it. This is going to be going on all over the country. They're holding their town halls. Let's get together. Let's mobilize. Let's go out and, and scream. You, you know, you work for us. And, of course, then you've got coverage like that with that reporter. Well, this is the angry tire. They're tired of the D.C. blather. Well, all right. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Will these protests work? Will these protests cause and should they cause congressmen and senators to to back down? Should these congressmen give in to the mob? Or is that what this really is? Is this just the mob that is out there screaming, trying to mobilize, but making noise that is not reflective necessarily of where America is? For example, most of the polls that I have seen on this immigration ban show that that people support it. Even if they don't necessarily support Donald Trump, they support this. But yet you have these groups, and, and these are the citizen action type of groups. These are the organized protests. Is this just a bunch of noise signifying nothing, 
or is this really representative of this vast national mood? Um, viscerally tired of the D.C. blather. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. And again, mark my words. If you think that this is a unique story, you're, 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 you're very wrong. When Republican congressmen come back to Wisconsin and start holding town halls, I guarantee you, you are going to see the same sort of stuff, the usual suspects showing up and screaming, do your job. And I guarantee you, you're probably going to get the same sort of sympathetic coverage that this particular reporter gave. Pete in Denmark. Pete, you're on 620 WTMJ. Jeff, I just wonder, why don't we as Republicans do the same thing when the Democrats hold their town hall meetings? Let's fight fire with fire. Well, I guess the question would become, well, first of all, the Republicans are in the majority, so, you know, they're the ones that control this. Um, I think the other thing might be, should Republicans be showing up en masse to say, hey, you know, this is not representative. This mob is not representative of our constituents. You know, we should Republicans be showing up to tell Jim Sensenbrenner, we think you are doing your job, or Paul Ryan, we think you are doing your job. Exactly. I guess that's my point. Right. Let's. Let's just go in there and, and let's do our job. Do you think that people, do you think that these, these protesters that, for example, show up outside this, congr- this congressman's office or they storm the town hall, do you think they are representative of the electorate in general, or is this just the squeaky wheel trying to get greased? Exactly right. Yeah. I, I think that's what it is. Um, thanks. For, I, I, I agree. I agree completely. But you have to be alert for this because this is going to be the template for the next several months. There will be organized activities by the opposition, the people that oppose Donald Trump, that oppose these various policies. They will be storming the town halls. They will be screaming. They will be yelling. And the coverage that they will get in the media would lead you to believe that this is the way everybody in the country feels. I don't believe that that is the case. And I've been critical of some of the things that Trump has done, but I don't believe that's the case. Yet the, the squeaky wheel, that's what the attention is going to be. That's what the media template is going to be, that people are viscerally tired of the D.C. blather. No. These are the people that are unhappy that Hillary Clinton lost. These are the people that aren't happy that Donald Trump won. These are the people that have their own axes to grind, and they are grinding it. They are grinding it loudly, but... I don't know, as the anti-Trump protest movement digs in, and it is, um, my question is really, okay, they're digging in, but they can they really win anything? Just ask it. Okay, I am intrigued by how you react to this particular story. Everybody knows Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne Conway was the spokesperson for the Trump campaign during the campaign. Um, she is articulate. And she's just great at political spin. I mean, she's a, she is, a, especially given some of the stuff that went on the, during the Trump campaign, this woman was just masterful at, you know, uh, taking chicken, you know what, and making chicken salad out of it. I, I really, I, I respected her ability to do these types of things. Now she's a presidential advisor, and she's one of the faces of the administration. You see her on the talking head shows all the time. Well, one of the things that's going on is that we've talked about, you have people who just hate Donald Trump more than I think you've ever seen anybody hate any particular president. And they want to do everything they can to try to destroy Donald Trump. And if that means 
going after people close to Trump, they are willing to do that. Now, Ivanka Trump, the, the, the daughter who I think is very, very articulate in her own right, um, she's got a line of clothing products that has been that's been sold, that's sold in various stores. Those stores that carry her clothing line have been besieged by the anti-Trump forces, demanding that the stores drop the clothing line because, or otherwise people say, we're going to boycott your store. We're not going to shop at your store if you have the audacity to carry Ivanka Trump's clothing line. So there's this effort that's out there. We don't really care about Ivanka Trump, but let's try to hurt dad, you know, through hurting the, the daughter. So that's been going on. So what happened earlier this week is Nordstrom, you know, big, big department store chain, Nordstrom's, which has been one of the one of the stores that's being that's been besieged by these. We're going to boycott your store if you don't drop, drop the Ivanka Trump clothing line. Um, Nordstrom's announces that they are going to drop it. Now, Nordstrom says it's it, this has nothing to do with all the protests. We're just dropping it because it wasn't a it wasn't a big seller. So Nordstrom says, no, 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 we're, we're not caving into the protests, but we're, we are, you know, we're, we are going to drop it. Now, you can decide for yourself whether Nordstrom's is, is caving in or whether this is a business decision. Or, in all likelihood, my opinion, it's probably a little bit of both. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that there is probably evidence to say maybe this isn't the best seller in the world, but I, I refuse to believe that if it were not for the firestorm and all these protests, that the company would have chosen now to drop the product line. It's probably simply they're saying, they're saying, oh, my goodness, we're getting all this attention. We're getting all these people who are threatening that they're going to boycott. This isn't our best seller, so let's drop it. You will never convince me that if it were not for the protests, that the line would have been dropped right now. But I'm sure it's perhaps they're just deciding it's not worth it. So in any event, the idea is let's try to hurt Dad by going after the, the daughter. And like any father, um, I think he's upset at that. And so he fires off, you know, one of these these Twitter things where he essentially, again, criticizes Nordstrom's for doing this. And the idea where, where he goes out and I think he says that it's just, you know, he thinks it's appalling that Nordstrom's is, is doing this, Okay. Well, the scene switches now to Kelly Ann Conway, who goes on Fox and Friends. And they're, they're asking her about this flap, and they're asking her about, you know, the, the things that Donald Trump said. And she's clearly got her back up a little bit because she sees what's going on here, and she sees, I think, what Trump thinks is going on here. And, you know, her response – now, again, she, she works for the White House – her response is, well, here's what I would say to, to these to these people, you know, in these stores that are, are dropping this in the face of the protests. Um, here's what I say. Go buy Ivanka's stuff. That's what I would tell you. I'm going to give a free commercial here. Go buy it today. Everybody, you can find it online. So that that's what she says. The controversy is, you know, there are federal ethics laws which prohibit federal employees from using their position in order to enrich themselves or to enrich other people. 
So, I mean, the, the idea is if you're a federal official, you're not supposed to be using your position to endorse products or to sell products, whether you're going to make any money or somebody else is going to make any money. So she goes on TV, and, and her response, again, it's a response to the, the, boy, the calls to boycott Ivanka's clothing line. Her response is, go buy Ivanka's stuff. It's what I would tell you. I'm going to give a free commercial here. Go buy it today. Everybody, you can find it online. And, of course, this causes a huge firestorm. She's violated these ethics laws. She has to go. She's using public office for private gain. You've got the editorials. You've got the good government folks. Everybody is outraged about what she ended up saying. The White House says... Well, okay, we're going to counsel her about this. We will counsel her about this, and that makes the left go even crazier. Oh, my goodness, don't you understand that you have this woman? She's done all this stuff. This is a violation of the ethics rules. She's trying to enrich, in this case, Ivanka, by using her government position. How dare a government spokesman go on TV and say, go buy Ivanka's stuff? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. Obviously... Influence peddling is a big deal. If you have federal officials that are taking bribes in exchange for doing things, well, they not they shouldn't be federal officials and they should be behind bars. No question about it. How big a deal is it what Kellyanne Conway did? The White House says, okay, we're going to counsel her on this, which probably means eh, don't do it again. Should that be the end of it, or should there be more disciplinary activities? Understanding the background and understanding what happened, is counseling enough, or should there be more severe consequences? 414-799-1620, That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. 943, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 946, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Life without Jabari begins tonight for the Bucks. What will the new look lineup be, and what does this mean for Thon Maker? Greg Matzik opens the discussion. Tune in, 607 this evening on Sports Central. Greg does a great job. Okay, there's this huge brouhaha involving Kellyanne Conway, advisor to the president, who I think clearly makes a mistake. Federal law says you can't, in an official position, go out and promote products. There's this huge brouhaha. You've got a lot of the anti-Trump people who are trying to pressure businesses to, for example, drop Ivanka Trump's clothing line. That's the effort. It has nothing to do with the quality of the products. They just don't like Trump. They're trying to hurt him any way they can. So we'll go after the, the daughter's business line. Nordstrom's drops it. They say we're dropping it because it's not a big seller. That might be a factor. But I, I don't think there's any question that they're also responding to the protests. Kellyanne Conway goes on Fox and Friends. And as this is coming up, the efforts to try to hurt President Trump by going after his daughter. She, her response is, um, okay, here, go buy Ivanka's stuff. Um, it's a wonderful line. I own some of it. I'm going to give a free commercial here. Go buy it today. Everybody, you can find it online. And, of course, by doing this, the left then explodes. Oh, see, she's violating all these ethics rules. You know, she's trying to you know use her public position to promote private lines. This is terrible. And I do think... She's probably violated the rule. But how big a deal is this? Let's start with Brian in Brookfield. Brian, good morning. Hi, thanks for the call. Yeah, I don't think it's a big deal at all. I mean, if you if you watch the interview, which I did on Fox and Friends, I mean, she was just kind of saying it off the cuff, like, sure, it's a great line, go buy right. a shirt, support her, not a big deal. I think, conversely, if you look at the Democrats, 
you know, they're looking to hurt him any way possible. Right. But if you go back to when Hillary was the uh, chief spokesperson for Obama as the uh, person going around the country setting our policy, and every time she went someplace, that country ended up paying millions of dollars to her husband to come give a speech. Well, now, I'd, ra- I'd rather have somebody go and buy a $25 shirt to support a line yeah. than give Bill Clinton $3 million for a 10-minute speech, and then our you know, Secretary yeah. of State does some good thing for another country because, wink, wink, they paid our foundation some money. I mean, it's... Yeah, there, there is. You raise, there, Brian, you, you raise an interesting point. Forest and trees. Now, I think Kellyanne Conway was wrong, but you're right. I've seen that interview. This was, it was sort of an off-the-cuff thing. And what she was talking about, she wasn't really, her intention wasn't to enrich Ivanka Trump. It wasn't to enrich herself. It was like, this is how, if you want to respond to these protests, here's what you can do. You know, show, stand up, buy the stuff, show that you're not going to give in. That's what she was trying to convey, which... I, she shouldn't have done it, but at the same time, right? I, I'm with you. I'm much more concerned with the money that's being funneled into the Clinton was funneled into the Clinton Foundation for access than, like you yep. say, this off the cuff comment to buy a purse. Now, thanks to call four one four, which isn't to say that, that she, which isn't to say that she should have done that, uh, because again, if you're going to be a federal official, you've got to play by the federal rules. And just like when I worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office, you, you couldn't. Go on TV and you know suggest that people hire my brother's law firm or something like that. You you couldn't do those type of things um, because then you'd be trading on your federal position. Th- this is not what I think she was intending to do. It was more like, hey, if you want to if you want to stick it to these protesters, here's one of the ways you can do it. Dave in Green Bay. Dave, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, you've already stated it that she was wrong to do what she yep. did. She did it out of frustration. However, I think it underscores a more difficult problem with the way Trump and his people are going to try to govern. They have either no knowledge of or complete disregard yeah. for the rules. And this is going to be problematic for them all the way along. No, I, I think you are right as well, Dave. I mean, I, that's if you had somebody who was experienced in the operations of the federal government, they would have known that even in a moment of frustration, you, you don't do something like this because if nothing else, it plays into the hands of your critics, and this becomes the story for two days. Yes, and I think that uh, Trump seems to be reluctant to listen to people, even though you know a lot of his appointees seem to be pretty solid. Right. He doesn't listen to people. He just goes off on his own. Well, I think he's... You know, well, he's thin-skinned. I, no, I mean, I mean, he's thin-skinned, and that's and yeah, that's the yeah, that's, that's the reaction, right? That that's the. I mean, when when Nordstrom's pulls the product line, like I was saying earlier, I, I have no doubt that a factor, not maybe not the the, the the protests were a factor in their decision as well as a business decision. But you know, in, instead of just like letting it go, because who cares? Because my guess is. Uh, Ivanka Trump's bottom line doesn't matter whether she's selling some purses or not at Nordstrom's. I mean, you just, can't let anything go. R- right, that's exactly. So you send out this problem. Twitter thing, but you're, no, you have thanks. I mean, that's that is an ongoing problem. You, you've got to, you, you can't just respond to anything. And I understand the desire to fight back. And I, I think even though I mean Donald Trump is notoriously thin-skinned to begin with, and then if you figure that people are going after your kids, I mean, I, I'm sure he could care less about again the. 
you know, selling a couple purses or whatever's in that clothing line. But when you think, okay, they're trying to hurt me by hurting my child's business, I understand that the desire to react in the fashion. But you're the president of the United States. I think that you have to resist that. And and I think as a spokesperson, you can't be, you cannot be flippant. And and Kellyanne Conway was was flippant when she was dealing with this. This was not, again, it's not the intended, the ethics thing saying, hey, you know, we're, we're going to try to make money off of this. It was, this is how you stick it to the protesters. But you need to you need to think these things through. Now, do I think she needs to be fired? No. Do I think she needs to be charged with anything? No. I mean, they've said that they've counseled her, and I assume that means, hey, you can't do this. You have to be more careful with what you say. And, and that's... I agree with that. Lisa in Milwaukee. Lisa, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. I just find it slightly amusing that Trump spent his entire campaign trashing the families, the parents, the children, the spouses of his opponents. And once it was done to him, he fought back and put Kellyanne Conway in the situation she had to be in. Right. Well, and of course that, I mean, and again, he was doing that during the, right, during the campaign as well. And if you, if you attacked him, even during the campaign, he would respond, and you'd have the surrogates that would uh, respond as, as well. So, uh, you think that you don't think this was a mistake? You think he, you think Kellyanne Conway was sent on to defend him in this fashion, huh? I don't think she was sent. I think it was just kind of a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, this is what we've done this entire time. Why would it change now? Yes, yes, and you would think again. You would to me. It, it just, it's a distraction, if nothing else. That's the frustrating thing about this. It, it's like the rollout of the immigration ban. You could have avoided a lot of the protests, not all of them, but if, if you would have kind of thought it through and maybe consulted with some people and let's make it clear that this doesn't affect people who have green cards, all these things, but you, you can't have that knee-jerk reaction. And I agree with you. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of knee-jerks, re- knee-jerk reactions to stuff, including stuff that you should just ignore. Let it go off your back. Who cares? Exactly, but that's not his personality, and unfortunately, we're going to deal with that for quite a while. So you don't see this changing? (laughs) Absolutely not. That's not his personality. That's not who he is. He's always been the man, and why would that change now? Yeah, thanks. See, that's why I would would take away, if if not taking away the Twitter, I would, because I I actually think that, you mean, that, that using Twitter, is a way to you know bypass the bias that he feels exists in the mainstream media. So it's not my objection isn't so much the 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 fact that he uses Twitter. My objection is that there's no filter. <laughs> that you know you, you don't use just Twitter to okay explain that you're coming out with this policy, but you use it to you know go off after Nordstroms or you you use it to you know go after the federal judges. It's like okay if you want to use it to communicate with your folks. Great. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Jack and Brown Deer. Jack, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, I heard that last call, and that's kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, you use the term clown car to describe uh, Stuff. the county board. <laughs> yeah, I do, things, yep. Things like that. And, and to me, I, I was willing, I guess, uh, at the start of his administration to give him a chance, think that he was finally he was going to get it together, uh, the stuff that he was saying before he was elected was eventually going to become presidential, and everything that's happened since, whether it's Spicer, whether yep. it's uh, his his other spokesperson, I I just don't understand how 
you can defend what in any way what's going on. I mean, the ban was done incorrectly, ham-handed, absolutely. <laughs> right, and then he comes back and criticizes the judges for it. His Supreme Court nominee uh, makes a statement. Well, he wasn't talking about that. He was talking in general about uh, right saying that the court was goofed up or something like that. So so you're not, you don't think the rollout is ready for prime time. Would that be a fair statement? No, it's, it's a bunch of amateurs. <laughs> yeah, it, well, I, th- I mean, it, it, and see, the, the, and what frustrates me is, like I said, this immigration ban, and this immigration ban is support, there's more people that support the ban than actually support Donald Trump. It's something that I think, especially if you did it a little bit more narrowly, I think it's something that the majority of, of Americans would support, a temporary hold from these different countries. But it gets lost in the, the, the message. This is just another example. Who cares? Who cares about, you know, the, the Nordstrom thing? Let it go and advance advance your message. <laughs> Ten oh eight, Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us on a Friday coming up at eleven thirty-five. Our weekend review. Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson, and I talk about some of the big issues. And this year, this week, we're going to be talking about national issues and state issues, and of course, local issues. Coming up in just a little bit, mini riots break out in Arizona after the government enforces the law. We'll talk about that, but. This is the segment of the program, and we do this this time every day. I call it dealer's choice. It is, to me, maybe not the biggest issue of the day, but it's one of the most talkable issues, at least. And I try to identify one that I think, boy, that's really kind of interesting. So dealer's choice for today, and Jane was actually just talking about it. MPS is considering a uniform policy for all its schools. Right now, um, about about. A third of the MPS schools already require students to wear uniforms. And they're saying that a recent survey shows that a lot of people favor a district-wide uniform policy. And you heard uh, during our newscast, uh, they go out to Pulaski High, and the principal says, um, hey, we love this. First of all, there's nothing like coming to school and seeing the students looking nice and neat. She said, I can tell you that uniforms have been a great help to Pulaski High School this year. It's been great. She says the learning environment has improved for the better. There was decline in the issues that we were having with climate last year, meaning climate of the schools. She says that, you know, I I think there's really no drawback, less bullying, People don't get judged by what they're wearing. Less fights um, adds to discipline. You don't have these issues with dress codes. Now, look, I, I understand even within uniforms, you're going to have people that kind of push the envelope a little bit. But you don't have to f- issues with, with dress codes. You don't have to worry about, hey, is this person wearing clothing that's too terribly provocative? Or, you know, is this is this something that's going to cause, be interpreted as being a gang symbol or whatever, and we're going to get into fights? So they're saying, hey, uniforms make sense. Now, I know from the perspective of parents, um, a lot of times, if you're a parent, this this takes away a lot of stress. If you've got a school uniform policy, you don't have to fight with your kids every day about that dress is too short or, my, my God, you know, you're showing too much of this or too much of that or those pants are down around your hips and your underwear is hanging out. Don't do that. I mean, you just know this is this is it. Also, 
I think, you know, you avoid some of these issues with fashion and you get the school uniforms. I think in many cases it ends up being cheaper because, all right, you can go get the hand-me-downs or whatever. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. School uniforms is not an uncommon thing in many private and or parochial schools. Right? Not uncommon at all. It is a relatively new idea in public schools. Should MPS go to a system-wide policy of school uniforms? Like I say, about a third of the schools right now have uniforms, and what the people who are actually dealing with this say is it's pretty much all positive. So moms, dads, uh, you know, would you like to see your school district adopt this sort of policy? Would it make your life easier? 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. Let's start with Lou and Oconomowoc. Lou, you're first. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. I was uh, telling your, uh, your screener screener there that uh, I was an administrator for many years for a small Christian school, and uh, we had uniforms. and. They're a wonderful idea of public schools. My, my daughter's actually moved, one of them went to the public high schools. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, at the end of her period of time. But uh, point being is they were great. They take off a lot of the peer pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. They enhance a learning environment like you won't believe just because everybody's dressed, dressed the same. But, you know, you're dressed for school, too. Right. And, and it's just it's just a wonderful thing, and I and, and I'm not saying this to be biased or anything. Um, I probably am, but my learning experience is it's just a wonderful thing. Well, well I, yeah, I mean, it's, it sort of makes sense it. to me. You're, you're you're and you're not fighting the battles of the dress codes or what's appropriate or what's not, or you know, you, you have the. Uh, I mean, you, you can make. I guess you got the you got the boys that come in and their pants are down around their hips and their underwear's hanging out, or you've got the girls that come in and their bra straps are hanging out, or whatever. And you're constantly fighting this battle of trying to define a dress code as to you know does this apply, does this not apply? You got the uniform. Everybody's wearing the same thing, so you don't have to fight that battle. And you know what it is, Jeff? Too is people get out there. You know how it is when you got dressed up, and sure. a lot of us as kids didn't want to admit it, but we got that tie on and we put a suit jacket on something we went to the the big dance or something sure. yeah we were we were walking in tall cotton yeah and, and there's a mindset there well, well right no th- thanks well no i think also you're you're right it is it also it it teaches people early on that you you have to you you have to dress for what you aspire to be. Now, look, I'm going to be. We're, we're going to be Facebook. We're going to live streaming Facebook Live. I will be the first to admit today. I'm in blue jeans and I'm a sweater and I'm a dress shirt. I come here wearing sweatshirts from time to time. But I, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm doing radio. When I was practicing law, you know, I would show up on a daily basis wearing my lawyer suits. When I was doing TV here for six and a half years, I would show up. You, you have to. You have to dress. For what is appropriate, but I know in the past when I have talked to people who, for example, make hiring decisions, they will tell me, and you know, if you're in HR, you know this. They will tell me that they are appalled at the outfits that that some some young people show up in, and it's like, okay, you really thought that this was appropriate to wear this fill in the blank as to whatever this is to this job interview. Well, maybe you know when you do the school uniform route, it, it teaches you how to dress. A little bit. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Ten 
817. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Friday, so that means another Friday Forum. Milwaukee developers Rick Barrett and Jill Didier join Steve Scafidi and Brian Fraley starting at 207 on WTMJ Today. Kurt in Oak Creek. Kurt, good morning. Morning, how are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, MPS is considering school uniforms for all the schools. Good idea or bad idea? Bad idea. Tell me why. Um, I think it takes away, in this day and age, it takes away a person's individuality and makes them like a drone, like follow the orders. It, it, it just kind of, you know, when you're, I had a, several friends that were in parochial schools and they hated wearing uniforms and they, they were forced to. And I don't mm-hmm. think we should force children to be all the same. I think they should well, want to have that individuality. But, but it only, but I mean, it's not like, it's not like they're saying that you can't wear what you want before school or after school or on weekends. I mean, is 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 school and clothing choices, is that really the best place for kids to show their individuality? I, I think so, because now you're putting these kids in a classroom for four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. At least let them be comfortable. I, I know I wouldn't want to wear clothes that, you know, oh, dang, that uniform again today, and you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's okay for the person that's average or fit, but, you know, some people are overweight, let's say, or you know, don't have the perfect body, and now you're forcing them to wear these odd clothes that, that they don't feel comfortable in. That's going to, like, ruin their learning environment. Well, see, I get, comfortable. see, I guess, I mean, thanks, thanks, I mean see, I, I guess I don't, that's not how I think of it. Okay, so you got the boys in khaki pants and a, a dress shirt, and you've got the, the girls in, I don't know, skirts and the, the blouses. I mean, I, I guess I don't. I don't think of those as being uncomfortable. My guess is a lot of the quote-unquote fashion stuff is going to be a lot less comfortable than, than you would have the, the uniforms. I mean, some of the things, and I guess, I mean, I appreciate individuality, and I am not against kids expressing their individuality, but I don't know that you necessarily need to do it in, in the clothing you wear to school. There's all sorts of other ways you can express your individuality, and inevitably, I mean, I guess, I don't know, and we're going to talk to some more parents here. i got to imagine that this is one of the ongoing battles you have as people try to push these limits. You're not going out of the house dressed like a streetwalker, or you're not going out of the house with, you know, your underwear hanging down. And if kids are in classrooms for lengthy periods of time, I would actually think that some of the clothing choices would be a distraction to other classmates. Let's talk to Sherry in Oak Creek. Sherry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, the last caller says individuality. I don't want to. I don't want to cramp people's styles, but do uniforms make sense? I believe they make a hundred percent sense. I would vote ten times over for uniforms in schools. I had to wear them when I was younger in a Catholic school, and I graduated with high honors. It never affected my sense of individuality at all, and we. If we got really good grades as a classroom, we were awarded like a Friday a month to wear whatever we wanted to wear. Right. And as a, as a reward for that. And I, I see my daughter go through it almost every morning, stressing over what to wear. Right. And I want to wear jeans today. So, okay, wear jeans. Well, no, I can't wear those because I wore them last Thursday. Right. Yeah. It makes you know, everything just easier. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't match with that. And I can't find this this green thing i wanted to go with this and she stresses so much she's 13 but 
Right. Well, no, so much on that. Well, I would imagine also that there's a degree of what I would describe as negative peer pressure, Sherry. Okay, you, you want you you want to look really good, so um, I don't know. Your your girlfriend is wearing this outfit that might be might be pushing what you think is appropriate. So then there's the battles. Well, Melinda is wearing this. You know, I exactly. I want to wear the thing, and to me, this would just ease all that hassle for the parents. Exactly, and there is so much peer pressure out there, and if you don't have the latest designer fashion, right. you know, if you can't afford it or whatever, you have to try and find it somewhere less expensive. And then, then you go to school and then they say, oh, that's not the real brand. That's a knockoff. And right. then you feel terrible anyways. Yeah, it's, it's, right. And see, it's, it's, it's like, okay, and, and even within, I mean, I try, I, I do, I sympathize with school districts that try to draw up dress codes and try to decide, okay, what's appropriate and, and what's inappropriate. Okay, we, we don't want the boys sitting there, you know, with their boxer shorts, you know, hanging out down to their butts. We think that that's inappropriate. So how do you, how do you draw that? You know, how do you draw the thing? We, we don't want, you know, we don't want the bra straps being visible or, you know, we don't want the, the skirts that are too short. Now look, I'm a child of the seventies. Okay. I, I remember, I remember the mini skirts and stuff and, uh, you know, you do talk, kind of talk about distractions. Oh, look, you know that there's there, and that that was the style back when I was in high school. And of course, this was the '70s, and people would come in wearing these skirts that you know it was almost impossible to sit down in. And from the perspective of a teenage boy, it's almost impossible not to look. And I'm not blaming the girls or anything like that. I mean, that that's that's not the point of this. It's just I got to imagine the battles that are going on as to what's style and what's not. Let's talk to Christine in Milwaukee. Christine, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Uh, good morning, Jeff. I was calling concerning the fact that I had wore uniforms, I'm um, talking back in the 60s, all through high school and actually into college. And I disagree with a previous caller that said you lose your individuality by wearing uniforms. And I, I don't agree because, if anything, I didn't have to compete with yep. everybody else for clothes. And I could be my own person. I could feel free to speak up. Yeah, uh, and give my opinion. And you, you I, express your individuality in other ways, other exactly. than what you're what you're wearing on your back. Yeah, exactly. And there are businesses where you wear. I was in the medical field. We wore uniforms. Um, mm-hmm. You can still be your own person. And and I've also worked in a place where you didn't wear a uniform, and there I felt more like a robot. So it really depends on the individual. But I totally agree that uniforms. All our kids had them. It definitely is the way to go. Well, I also think it's it's good training for what comes next. And like I say, right. if, if you're if you're used to, let's take boys. And you, okay, you're wearing a, a pair of khaki pants and you're wearing a, a white dress shirt. That that's what you know the typical sort of uniform is. That. Mm-hmm. That kind of teaches you that when, when you're applying for that first job, my guess is you're more likely to sh- show up dressed in, in an appropriate fashion, dressed closer to that than to show up again with the, the jeans that are hanging down around your hips and the, right. you know, the, the T-shirts um, from right. the rock band. And you're, it, just, it just teaches you what you need to do if you're going to succeed later on. Correct. And it's, it's a discipline that it's a good discipline for life. And huh. uh, I, yeah, I totally disagreed with him on that because... That yeah. doesn't, clothes don't make the person. I mean, <laughs> right? No, it, no, exactly. Right. You just you express your individuality in other ways. And and again, if, if there, there's plenty of opportunities to do that, if you go to a school that's got school uniforms, as long as it's appropriate with mom and dad. Okay, when you go out on on Friday nights or you go out on the weekends, you know, wear whatever you want, as long as again it's okay with mom and dad. Express your individuality that way. But from seven thirty in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, you know, it's more about learning. Let's talk to Dan in Pewaukee. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. 
Morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good idea, bad idea? Absolutely wonderful idea. I have two young boys in um, early grade schools, and I love having uniforms. They can do a blue shirt or a white shirt, and they have blue navy pants. Right. There's no fuss, there's no fight, there's no other distraction. And I, I totally disagree with the individuality argument as well. I think having a uniform allows you to show your value or your individuality by what you are, not by what you look like. And I right. think that's a good reflection of society today, that we very much value everybody by what they look like rather than what their capabilities are. Yeah, and so your your kids don't rebel against this at all, huh? They they don't they don't mind that okay, it's going to be a white shirt or a blue shirt, and it's going to be the navy pants. Nope, they have no care concern. They can wear whatever they want on weekends, yeah. and weather depending, obviously. But right. no, everybody's got the same thing. So now they have an opportunity to learn and earn and grow, not by what they're wearing or what group they fit in with, by who they actually are as a person. Yeah, I mean, I think I guess that's how that's how I kind of see it as well. Aaron in Waterford. Aaron, you're in six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? I agree, I agree with the uniforms, but I also see it as a uh, is it going to benefit the parents from having to go out and spend hundreds of dollars on school clothes for their children? You know, each spring, summer. Well, well I think it would actually be cheaper. I, right. I, 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 right, because I mean, you you can go if you don't want to buy the new clothes. My guess is if there's uniforms, that that's you can a lot of the, the schools have. From yeah. having to go out and spend hundreds of dollars, and even if you have more than one kid, you know. Right. And well, and I, I mean, I think what happens a lot of times too is if you've got if your kid outgrows the clothes, well, what you do is you a lot of times these schools you 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 give it to the school or you sell it back to the school, and then people go and they they, they buy they like the used clothing because you know you know this is what it's going to be. So your kid outgrows it, and if you can't hand it down to your to your younger child, well, okay, then you you give it back to the school or whatever, and they sell it at a discount. I mean, I, I yeah, it's got to be cheaper. Plus you're not arguing about, hey, okay, this is the latest blouse that cost you $125. Right, right. Like, yeah, you're not keeping up with the Joneses with the, you know, whatever, and you're all on the same page as kids and, and yeah. also the parents. And Yeah, I just don't I see a downside to it. I, I, I really don't. And I try to look at both sides, and I just, this is one that seems to me it's a no-brainer. Correct. Now, thanks, I guess that's, and so, and I mean, MPS is already doing it in about a third of the schools, and at least anecdotally, it appears to be working really well. So my advice would be, why not try it? I mean, again, why not try it and see how this works? And if the parents rebel or the kids rebel, okay, fine. But otherwise, give it a shot. It's 1034, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We have this tour group coming through and some delightful people from Muskego. And one of the questions the young lady just asked me is, when you talk into that microphone, do people hear you? <laughs> and I said, yes, we, yes, 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 people do. We, we, no, we know people do. I said, a lot of people listen, and yes, ex- exactly. But that's, that is how it works. It's just had a tour group coming through. And I, it, it's always, you can see our facilities. Like, for example, in an hour from now, we'll do our Facebook Live when we do our weekend review. And, um, I sit behind this very, very impressive board with all these flashing lights and things. And I, I always kind of demystify it a little bit because everybody's just going, look at all those buttons and stuff. And I say, well, yes, there are all these buttons, but I'm only allowed to push three, maybe four. And in the case of an emergency, there's one more I can push. So it's just like, so it's just kind of like, yes. 
but it's basically, Jeff, don't touch that. Touch that button. Touch that one. Touch that one. And otherwise, and everybody goes, oh, that's really cool. But yes, goodbye. <laughs> yes, yes, we, yes. When we put on that thing, just, people can they really hear you on the radio? I said, well, yeah, that's that's ex- that's exactly right. We love having tour groups through here at Radio City, kind of showing people the the history of here. WTMJ is just. It is a great place to work, and I, I always, um, I have enjoyed this job for all these years, and I appreciate you listening, and I just treasure all the stuff that goes on, including when we have these groups through and people looking in. Okay, let us switch gears for a moment. This story is one of the lead stories in, well, pretty much every print publication today. Um, let me let me describe for. I'll only read the way the New York Times covers this. She showed up yearly to meet immigration agents. Now they've deported her. Um, Phoenix, Arizona. For eight years, Guadalupe Garcia de Reos had checked in at the Federal Immigration and Customs Enforcement Office here, a requirement since she was caught using a fake Social Security number during a raid in 2008 at a water park where she worked. So she's caught using a fake social security number she is in this country illegally um and they don't deport her they just simply say okay come in check in every year every year since then she has walked in and out of the meetings after a brief review of her case and some questions but not this year on wednesday immigration agents arrested ms reos 35 despite efforts by her family and others who tried to block Legally and physically, her removal from the United States, she was deported Thursday to Nogales, Mexico, the same city where she crossed into the United States 21 years ago. Immigration agents said she's a threat, but my wife isn't a threat, her husband said in an interview. As one of the estimated 11 million unauthorized immigrants in the United States, it's the New York Times, Ms. Reyes was always a candidate for deportation. But as a matter of practicality, the Obama administration had focused its finite resources on removing the most serious criminals. The government even won a deportation order against her in 2013, but had not carried it out, instead merely requiring her to check in periodically. That all changed under President Trump, who ran on a pledge of being tougher on illegal immigration. Among the 18 executive orders that he has issued since taking office on January 20th is one stipulating that undocumented immigrants committed of convicted of any criminal offense, even those and even those who have not been charged but are believed to have committed acts that constitute a chargeable criminal offense, have become a priority for deportation. So in this particular lady's case, um, apparently they said that, you know, it had been reviewed. They determined that she did not have a legal basis to remain in the United States. She had been ordered deported. She came into this country 21 years ago. She gets caught in 2008 during, again, a raid of one of these businesses because they find that they're, they, they believe that the business is employing people who aren't legally allowed to work. She's using a fake Social Security number. She gets caught. She's ordered deported. But they have not deported her. So for the last seven, eight, nine, ten years, she's just checked in at an immigration office every year. This this time she checks in and they deport her. They enforce the order. She has a husband who I believe is legally in this country, or at least he's not he was not subject to deportation. And they have two children who are US citizens because they were born in this country. You know, there's the law that says 
It doesn't matter if your parents are illegally in this country. If you're born in this country, you become a citizen. So anyhow, she walks in the other day, and immigration is waiting. And instead of just simply saying, okay, thanks, go back to your life, they say, no, we're going to deport you. So now they're sending her back to Mexico. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. If you were watching any of the Talking head shows last night, you might have seen the video. Because once this, this happens, you have the, the, the immigrant community that kind of rallies. All these people like show up outside the deportation center. They're trying to block cars from getting in and out. And there, there's outrage that this lady, who had been ordered deported a few years ago, but has been allowed to stay, has suddenly, this government has suddenly decided to act on the deportation order. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. All right, was the government wrong to, I guess, finally enforce this deportation order that had been in effect since 2013. The Obama administration essentially said, you know, no harm, no foul. We're not going to concentrate on people like this. That has now changed under Trump. Is this right or wrong? Is it outrageous that the government decided to now enforce this order? We discuss next. 1040, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620 and 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. It's 1043, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, here's the story, and this is getting all sorts of national attention. There's this woman, um, her name is Garcia, her her name is Guadalupe Garcia de de Reos. She comes into this country in the mid-90s with her parents. She's 14. The parents, they, they come into the country illegally. She has been in the country since then. She meets and marries somebody who I don't think is legally in the country himself, but I'm not positive. But they, they have, he's not a citizen, definitely. They have two kids who are now citizens because they're born in this country. So she's been here since the mid-90s. She's now in her mid-30s. She gets busted in 2008 when immigration raids one of the place, the place she's working, and she gets caught um, she's got and, and convicted, I think, of, of having a false Social Security number. So she's working under a false Social Security number. She is then, she goes through the process. She is ordered deported, you know, because she's been convicted of this crime or she's committed the crime and she's in this country illegally. But for the last few years, nobody's acted on the deportation order. She reports every year to the customs officials, tells them where she's living. Uh, this year, she shows up and they say, well, great, but we're not going to let you go back. We are going to act on this deportation order that was issued in 2013. So now there's this huge brouhaha. Um, Family is saying you're going to split up the family. All these protesters are there. All right. Should the government have ignored the deportation order? Let's start with, uh, let's see, Alan, who's calling us from Florida. Alan, good morning. Good morning. Where in Uh, Florida are we calling from? Bradenton, Florida. Got it. Welcome. Okay. What do you think? I agree with the order 100%. The... uh idea that she's a good person has nothing to do with it. The law should have been enforced way back when she was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that we have an administration that actually wants to deal with the problem, it's great. If somebody's a good person at Christmas time and there's long lines and they want to go to the front of the line, nobody's going to stand there and stand for that in a, in a, in a Walt Mall or wherever you're at. Mm-hmm. Okay, They're going to say, no, you're going to have to wait your turn. There's a lot of good people that want to come to this country and contribute, and they're trying to do it the right way. 
that's the people that it's unfair to, and that's what everybody should be looking at and objecting to. Mm-hmm. Um, the law should have been enforced from the beginning. Or, or certainly in 2013 when she was ordered deported, because I mean, this she's she's had she's had due process. There's no question about that. She went through the, the whole proceedings, and there's been a deportation order in effect since 2013. Right, yeah. and, and to me, the fact that she violated law that just that really emphasizes that it needs to be enforced. But and that it, to me, it's regardless if they broke the law or didn't break the law in the country. They broke the law the day they crossed the border illegally mm-hmm. and jumped the line in front of all those other people who are trying to get here. Okay, let me, let me ask you this. The, the argument would be, what do we gain by sending her back? She's been in this country for the last 20-some years. She, she's probably more, more – obviously, she's got ties to this country, much more so than Nogales, Mexico, when she came in when she was like 14 years old. Her kids are going to be allowed to stay. The argument might be, what do you gain by breaking up the family and sending her back? What we gain is the world understands that from now on, this country is no longer going to stand for people coming here illegally. There's a right way to do it. You do it the right way, and it's all good. If you do it the wrong way, it don't matter how long you're here. When we catch you, you're going back, and we're not going to stand for it. It's the law. You know, you don't get pulled over, and because you're a good person, well, we're not going to give you the ticket because you were doing 10 over today. We get the ticket. We broke the law. When the law is broken, we enforce the law. Nothing else matters except for the rule of law. That's what we're told all the time. Right. When it's convenient for the left, then they're all for the rule of law. When it's not convenient for the left, then they're not for the rule of law. Got you're it. either for the rule of law, you're either a country with borders, or you're not. It's Got it. real simple. Okay, thanks for calling. Preach. And then this is, I guess one of the things that's really struck me about this is that this is, now, now her claim is, hey, look, I'm, I was completely surprised by this because, yes, I know that there's this deportation order that's been out. I mean, this isn't like, hey, I, I just got caught up in this. I know there's been a deportation order that's been there, but nobody's enforced it. I come in every year, I tell them where I am, and then they just send me on their way. Now that, that that's all changed, I, I guess the question becomes, can you rely on the fact, or should you be able to rely on the fact that we haven't been enforcing the law? Let's talk to Anne in Milwaukee. Anne, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Anne? Anne? Okay, let's try Greg in Burlington. Greg, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? My name is Greg. Yes, sir. I just wanted to comment on this. You know, I don't think this is a Democratic-Republican issue. I think this is a world issue. The problem is is that our our immigration policies have been so lax that that we have allowed many, 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 many illegal immigrants into this country. And what we, what people fail to realize is, is that our federal government is collecting taxes from these people that are working illegally. They're collecting taxes from them to a tune of probably a ton of money. They are paying into our Social Security that they will never receive because they're illegal aliens. So the fact of the matter is we have an immigration problem that's more than just a blanket statement of saying, we're going to just deport everybody we see because we don't want them in there. They came in illegally. This is a bigger issue, and it needs to be handled by Congress, not by some executive order. Now, how would you – what do you think Congress – you're saying that if we start deporting people like this lady who's presumably working and you know paying into Social Security, or at least she was at some point in time, we're going to um, make the Social Security deficits and that worse? That's your argument? Yeah, I believe we are. I mean, these – you know, the, the gov- let's face it, the government knows who they are and where they are. Mm-hmm. If they're paying taxes, they're assigned a particular number. When they pay their taxes, 
They don't get they don't get refunds like we get. They pay their taxes and that's it for the year. The government knows who they are and where they are. They can get them anytime they want to. Right. You know. Well, and that's what happened here. The government knew where this woman was and they'd just been holding this order in abeyance. She shows up and she reports and I'm sure she thought it was going to be like it's been for the last few years. This time they say, "Nope, we're going to enforce this and we're going to send you back." Here's the thing. If you're convicted of a, a felony or any kind of other major crime, then you should be deported. You are not following the rules of this country. But we have people in this country that, yes, they came in illegally, but should be given the right to attract to citizenship because they've they've followed the rules and they've done everything they needed to to become citizens of this country. Now, in this particular case, the woman was convicted of a crime. She was caught or at least she committed a crime. That's not apparently an issue because she was using a false social security number, presumably to get a job. It's not a crime of violence. She's not a drug trafficker. She's not a member of a cartel. Does did you ignore that? So she she did commit a crime, but it was in connection with her identification. Does that make any difference? You know what? Yes, I do think it makes a difference because I think that we want to get rid of the violent crime in this country. Right. You know, and and that is a huge issue in this country right now. And the majority of violent crime is being convicted, but is being is being given by people who who are not from this country. Let's face right. it. And and I do think that yeah, of course they're going to have illegal social security numbers. That's right. why they're illegal. Right, and that's why you they're know? working. No, thanks. I, I mean, I bring that. I mean, just because right, this would not be. It would not even be a close call, in my opinion, if, if this was if this woman was a member of a cartel who had been involved in assaultive type of behavior. But still, you, you do have the law. Let's talk to um, Marla in Waupon. Marla, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, we have good friends who have been trying for 10 years to become legal citizens. And it's very frustrating for them. Um, it, it, the system is so complicated, even the lawyers don't quite know right um so i think that's a place we need to go as well now you're i assume your friends came into this country legally and they're here on visas yes. or, or yes. whatever right yeah yes yes yeah. they've been doing everything legally it's cost them a lot of money which is also very frustrating lawyers will tell them to do one thing and then lawyers will tell <laughs> them to do another thing right um it came to a point where um they weren't chosen for the lottery and maybe had to go back, but they have a, a daughter who's a legal citizen right. now, and she could apply for them. But the system is so screwed up that their 17-year-old daughter couldn't. Right. Okay. So, I mean, how do you think your wrong. how do you think your friends feel? see? Because this is a different situation. This is a, a woman who, when she was a kid, her parents bring her in this country illegally. So she's been in this country illegally for all those years. And, again, I'm not an immigration lawyer, and I don't play one on the radio. But once you come into this country illegally, it's it's almost impossible to get some sort of legal residency unless you leave. And and once you've been ordered deported, I'm not sure it's ever going to be possible. And she's been ordered deported. Right. You know, my heart goes out to this lady. Her situation, I think, is quite unusual because she was brought here. Right. Um, She didn't choose to come. Her parents brought her here. I mean, my heart really goes out to her. I I think we could have worked with her a little bit more than just when she shows up like she's supposed to do, then say, well, this time we're going to deport you. And we're going to send you back to a place that you haven't been to in 21 years, yeah. Well, since you were 14 years old. (laughs) You know, we've had a lot of illegal immigrants who um, who have done a lot worse things. Right. You know? 
Do you think there should be, if not a path to citizenship, at least a path to permanent residency for, for somebody like this lady who's, again, been here for the last 20 years and other than other than an identity crime, which, again, she, she obviously committed because she wanted to work, um, you think this is the type of woman that we should figure out a way to, to make it legal for her to stay? I, you know, yeah, I do. Okay. And, and the reason is this, because we go by the letter of the law, and we say that, um, you know, knives can't be brought into schools. And right. so a kindergartner who yeah. takes a butter mm-hmm. knife right. and cuts her peach in half gets expelled from school. Right. No, you know, that's, that's the problem we come to us we no i get it no the, the, the whole rules are rules thing and i mean i make that argument all the time that there's right i mean i'm against drugs in school but there's a difference between somebody who's selling black tar heroin versus the 14 year old girl that's got some mydol pills in her purse and you don't treat them you don't treat them the same but and, until we change our immigration laws the problem is this is the type this is the type of situation which is going to always be occurring. In this particular case, I mean the woman has a deportation order. So they they know where she's she is. I, I wrestle with this because how can you how can you not enforce the, the deportation order? Now Maybe, you know, we need to change the immigration laws to figure out ways that some of the folks who are in this country illegally who are not creating problems should be able to stay. And by the way, I don't support a path to citizenship, but maybe a path to permanent residency. Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, I think uh, listening to the conversation, I think we miss, or at least some of our callers are touching Mm -hmm. on it. What we're missing again in this instance of this individual case is a CS degree. Common sense went out the window in this instance, and it all is historically generated by a a poor system handling immigration. As an example, 40 years ago, I was involved with a major construction project in Texas. During the construction of this small city of 900 units, uh, the immigration authorities would come in maybe uh, once every two weeks to try to round up illegal workers. And this would have been carpenters, plumbers, tile people, roofing people. Right. Uh, and they'd come in with a steak truck and try to round up as many as they could. Well, these workers would be like ants. They'd go into manhole covers. <laughs> Jeez. It's unbelievable. And that was my first introduction to this 40 years ago. So this is not a recent event. Obviously, the sensationalism of what is happening through our uh, world events uh, has has brought this to the forefront with our security of borders. But in this instance, this has to be corrected through, uh, how can I say? um, Well, I I think the laws need to be changed one way or the other. I mean, we have to say... Are we really going to be serious about trying to deport all 11 million people that are in this country illegally, or are we going to try to give a path to residency for folks who've been here like this for 20 years who doesn't appear to have been causing a problem? That's it. You know? Well, in, in this instance, we have a neighbor who is not going to ever leave us, Mexico. We have Canada that's never going to leave us unless the ocean changes our geography. <laughs> So in this instance, that's not going to happen. So our politicians in Congress and the Senate have avoided the reality. What, 50 years ago, if not even a year ago, we have umpteen people coming across the border to pick beans and cotton and corn. And we've been doing this to help farmers for you well, know, who knows how long. Yeah, no, Dave, I'm sorry, I'm kind of up against the clock. I, gotta, I mean, yeah, and I, I, when I've talked about this before, I've, I've always raised, okay, the issue, like the, the, the dairy industry here. If 
if we were to seriously deport everybody who might not have appropriate papers, what, what would would there really be other people to fill the jobs? In any event, you're going to see all about this incredibly controversial. They are enforcing the law. And I think immigration, I mean, I don't fault customs. I think they have to enforce the law. I do think, though, this is the type of case which does make people think, do we need to rethink how we approach people who've been in this country for decades who really haven't caused problems? It's 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Jane, you will appreciate this. During the break, I run into Steve Scafidi, who's yes. going to be doing WTMJ Day. He, says, I, he said, I was listening this morning, and he said that conversation that you and Jane and Jean were having was one of the most interesting ones. This is why we do the podcast. And he said, and actually, he said, in all the years I've listened to the radio, that might have been one of the most interesting segues. Now, if you weren't listening at 830, this is why you need to listen all the time. Okay, We start off my show every day at 830 with three big things, and today we had an extensive interview with Ron Johnson, U.S. Senator, uh, to talk about all the stuff that was going on. Well... That was not the thing that was on my mind, because as Jane and Jean and I were talking about, there big fire yesterday at the historic this building on like 26th and State that was the home of the Palms, Palms. nightclub, yes. right, lots of entertainment stuff. But after it was the Palms, it was Hoops, and um, which was, at the time, kind of a high-end well, high end might be a little bit too, giving it too middle much credit. Middle range, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, a, a middle range strip joint slash um, sports bar, and I was telling and and Hoops had this featured performer. The woman's name was Tarzana, who you Jane had interviewed. Yes, years ago. Years, years ago. Years ago. Now, but you interviewed her on radio, which probably did not. <laughs> it was tough to do that justice, I would imagine. Well, yeah, she didn't. I don't. I don't think she. I'm sure I would remember if she had come into the studio and performed her trick. Right. Per, Tarzana's claim to fame, of course, was that she could um, crush beer cans between her breasts, and it just—it's it, something you don't see every day. And I—it I, it is, it is a yes. I mean, my producer Honda says it's a good skill, right? But how do you, how do you know if you're good at that? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I how do you know? You're just sitting around one day going, "Hmm, I, I wonder if I could." <laughs> well, she definitely could. You know, it's and and you know, I, I was telling a story about how I was there at a bachelor party, and I was with the um, father of the bride, and he was he was watching this, and his line was, "You know, Jeff, I've been in strip joints all across the world, and that Tarzana." She ain't just a stripper; she's an entertainer. <laughs> it's just kind of, it's just kind of, and as, as as he's in line to, and you know, in, and no, the beer cans were empty. <laughs> the beer cans were not full. The beer cans were empty there. But um, so anyhow, we went from discussion discussion of Tarzana right into you know Senator Ron Johnson talking about you know filibusters on the floor and stuff. Segway with no bumps whatsoever. It is, and this is why you know if you miss that stuff, check out the podcast page on wtmj.com. We do all that sort of stuff. You interviewed Tarzana, huh? Yes. Hmm. I was not inspired to change my career. <laughs> I don't think I would be good at that. If you think I'm going to say anything one way or if, if you think I am going down this route at all, <laughs> that, no, no, that, that was that was just this. <laughs> that's like, you know, when your wife says, does this outfit make me look fat? That's, that's, there's there's no, no win. There's right, no there, winning here, Jim. Absolutely not. See you later, Jane. Thanks for playing. <laughs> you know, no, there's, there's just no way at all. Nothing good comes of that. Um, all right. Let us now completely and totally switch gears again. We talked about this story a couple of days ago. I want to reiterate this. Here, here's what, what happened. Um, guy's name is Christian, Christian Sanchez. He's 26 years old. 
According to the criminal complaint, on Sunday, January 29th, Waukesha police respond to the, I think you say it's Schutz building. I was out there for um, the city of Waukesha's uh, Veterans Day thing. The Schutz building on Baxter Street near the Fox River, where they speak with a 17-year-old girl. The girl says that um, she and her 15-year-old sister were at the building for a soccer game when her younger sister, that's the 15-year-old, said she was going to head out to the family's van to get a bag of chips. The 17-year-old said she became concerned when the 15-year-old didn't come back. Um, they then start looking. The 15-year-old was located in the parking lot with an unknown Hispanic male who walked quickly to his car and drove off. The 15-year-old was interviewed by the police, and she said the Hispanic man was a Miguel Garcia, who she knew as a referee for soccer games at the building. According to the complaint, the girl said she knew the man for four months and that he had repeatedly asked for her phone number, which she eventually gave to him. Did I mention again, she's 15. The girl said she and the man would talk through an app on her phone. According to the complaint, the girl said he would send her messages indicating that he loved her. Did I mention that she was 15? And even showed up at her school with flowers in January. Did I mention she was 15? At that time, she said they sat in his vehicle and he tried to kiss her. On January 29th, the complaint says the girl told investigators the guy called her in the parking lot and asked her to walk with him towards the vehicle. As they walked along the Fox River, the girl said that uh, he opened his jacket, said it was cold, uh, tried to pull her close for warmth. Uh, She said that he then touched her inappropriately. As they walked to his car, he became frightened when people were looking for the girl calling out her name, and then he fled. On February 5th, investigators responded to the Milwaukee County Sports Complex near 60th and Ryan Road in Franklin, where they found the guy refereeing soccer games. The complaint says Sanchez... Uh, told investigators he could be identified with his Mexican consular ID, an ID with the name Gustavo Sanchez. When investigators conducted a more thorough background examination, they learned his true identity and found he had an outstanding warrant from Milwaukee County in a case from 2014 and had been twice deported to Mexico. By the way, the outstanding warrant is for beating his wife in front of his children. Okay, so let's let us review the bidding here. Um, you have a guy who is 26 years old. He has twice been deported. He has an outstanding warrant for beating his wife in 2014. He is working as a soccer referee in Milwaukee and Waukesha. He's 26 years old. He is accused of improperly touching a 15-year-old, but he has been certainly sniffing around this 15-year-old for quite a while. He has showed up at her school with flowers. Now, I don't want to get sidetracked here, but what the heck? I mean, you you mean to tell me you can have some 26-year-old guy that shows up at school and don't you need to, like, go through school? Don't they have monitors and stuff that shows up at school sniffing after a 15-year-old with flowers, and that's not setting off all sorts of alarms? 
Well, anyhow, okay, he was interviewed by police. He admitted to providing a false name and passport to investigators. He admitted he'd been deported twice before. He admitted to maintaining a loose relationship with the 15-year-old girl, texting her, attempting to kiss her, and touching her inappropriately. He's in this country illegally. There's an outstanding warrant. Where do you start when you start talking about things that went wrong? Now, there's all sorts of questions here. You know, why why after he got charged with the the wife beating back in 2014 wasn't somebody in touch with immigration telling him hey we've got this guy that's been deported twice who's now you know wanted for wife beating maybe we need to do something why i mean all sorts of questions you know why is he why why does a school, how can you show up at a school and you know with flowers for a 15 year old when you're 26 years old i digress and then how is this guy a soccer referee, for God's sake? I mean, you know, it just, the, the mind explodes. How is he a soccer referee that's hitting on 15-year-old girls? Well, all right, the latest development is the city of Waukesha has temporarily suspended the park permit of the soccer league that hired a twice-deported Mexican national accused of sexual assault. Let me read that sentence again. Okay, the city of Waukesha has temporarily suspended the park permit of a soccer league that hired a twice-deported Mexican national accused of sexual assault. That says it all. They hire this guy who's illegally in this country, who's got an outstanding warrant for wife-beating, who's sexually uh, now wanted for sexual assault who's in this country twice the permit allowed this particular soccer league to rent the gym at the recreation center from the parks um and now the uh, permit allowed operation of the league on sundays from january through april according to the statement apparently they have suspended the permit 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage toll-free talk line all right there's so many aspects of this that are wrong. But for our purposes, the soccer leagues that are hiring this guy to serve as the referee, do they have some accountability? And is, in this case, the city of Waukesha right to pull the permit of the league that's operating there? And, you know, perhaps maybe should, you know, he was at the Milwaukee County Sports Complex, you know, refereeing games. Should the permit for whatever league is hiring this character, should that, in fact, be suspended? Do the leagues have any accountability to do background checks on people like this? 414-799-1620 414-799-1620 is the number. It's 1119. We discuss next. Stick around. And if you're on the line, please hold on. 1122, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. See, this story is the flip side of what we talked about in the last half hour. In the last half hour, we talked about the woman who came into this country when she was 14 years old and has lived in this country for 20-some years. She's been ordered deported, but you know, immigration did nothing for a couple years until she shows up the other day, and then they say, okay, we're going to enforce the deportation laws. This is the flip, and, and everybody says, okay, well, that's, that's unfortunate, that's unfair, it's so terrible. But, but this is the flip side of what happens, once again, when you do not cooperate with federal law enforcement. You have this guy, now he's 26 years old. He has been deported twice. He's back in this country. In 2014, he is accused of, you know, beating his wife. So there's an outstanding warrant for him on 2014. Presumably, immigration is not notified by, you know, authorities about this. So he's not only in this country after being deported twice, He's wanted on outstanding charges for wife beating, 
and somehow he's able to get a job refereeing soccer games with teenagers. And gee, surprise follows surprise. He apparently becomes fixated. Now, he's 26. He apparently becomes fixated on this 15-year-old girl to the point that he strikes up a relationship with her. You know, she's at the soccer games. He's He gets her phone number somehow. Now, I mean, okay, should she have given him his phone? her phone number? No, but she's 15, okay? All right, she gives him the phone number. He then starts contacting her. They strike up a semi-relationship. He shows up at her school with flowers, and then he meets her at one of the soccer games, and they're off taking a walk along the Fox River in Waukesha, and it turns out that he then at least allegedly tries to grab her and touch her inappropriately and then flees, and, and now... Finally, you know, everybody's kind of looking at this saying, how could this end up happening? And, of course, there's a lot of blame to go around. You know, why was he back in this country? Why wasn't there some commun- effort to try to find him after the charges against him were issued in 2014? Why wasn't immigration notified? And I assume that they weren't, that somebody who'd been in this country for had been deported twice was now wanted for a wife-beating charge um, out of Milwaukee County. And then the other question is, who in their right mind? Do we have no background checks at all? I mean, when when we discussed this the other day, I mean, there are people calling in saying that, hey, you know, folks that have, oh, a conviction for bad checks from 20 years ago can't pass background checks to go, like, drive, be chaperones for their kids, you know, when they go to school nowadays because of the prior conviction. But you have leagues that, that hire illegal aliens with outstanding warrants for wife beating and you you have them refereeing soccer games i gotta tell you something the city of waukesha in my opinion is completely and totally right to pull the permit of this soccer league until the soccer league can show them that they have any concern at all about the safety of the people who participate and what troubles me on top of that is apparently he was also refereeing games at again the milwaukee county complex i think if i'm the president of whatever leagues he was working there i'd be asking the same question and if i was a player in one of these leagues i'd or a parent of kids that played in these leagues, I'd be saying, what the heck is going on here? Don't we do any checking at all as to who it is that we are hiring to referee these games? This story is so stunningly bad on so many levels, it's unbelievable. Coming up next, she just can't help herself. Stick around. It's 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our Week in Review is coming up in just a couple minutes. She just can't help herself. Now, earlier today, we were we were commenting on the fact that you had you know, Donald Trump, who cannot stay off of Twitter. And, and I just I think it would be so much better for him. And life would go so much easier if at least when you get mad at people, you just you stay off of Twitter. If he wants to use Twitter to communicate policy and go over the heads of the mainstream media, I would say go with God. Do that. But, you know, when you want to react, the judge ruled against me or all these different things. It's just like stay away. Stop doing that. It does not help. But but he's not the only one that can't stay off of Twitter. Hillary Clinton. Remember, Hillary Hillary is not going quietly into the good night. Um, Hillary, Hillary's back on Twitter. Okay, yesterday, late afternoon, after the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that um, Trump's executive order blocking immigration um, was, would, would the, the whole, the injunction would be allowed to stand, um, Hillary 
can't help herself. On her Twitter feed, she comes out, and to her various followers, 206,000 of them, she sends out something that says 3-0, three to nothing, which refers to the fact that it was unanimous on the part of the Court of Appeals that the order would remain blocked. So <clears throat> you've got Trump, who can't stay off of Twitter, Hillary, who is now responding in kind, who knows where we're going in the future? Bottom line is maybe everybody just wants to grow up a little. Is that too much to ask? I guess so. It is 1134, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, one of my favorite segments of the week. It is the Week in Review, where we look at some of the stuff that went on, both on a national level, on a statewide level, on a local level. I am joined, as always, I am the thorn between the two roses, Susie Falk from the Falk Group PR, and Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. We also live stream this on Facebook Live, so you can go to our, our WTMJ, 620 WTMJ page, and you can watch us as we do this, and I'm not the one to look at. Look at, you know, there's, there's Susie <laughs> and there's Tracy. It's, it's just absolutely, absolutely magical. Okay, okay. so um, let's get started. Donald Trump continues to be in the news. Um, his immigration, he comes out, puts an immigration hold on, announcing that he wants to ban temporarily for like 90 days immigration from seven designated um, countries so you can improve the vetting process it's been working its way through the courts yesterday the ninth circuit court of appeals issues a ruling saying um, the injunction stays in place uh, the immigration ban is not allowed to go into effect trump is not happy Susie falk should he just give up on this Oh, it's so fun to watch, um, and it's so fun to tune in to the media to see what's uh, the next event that's going to happen with Donald Trump. Um, I think at this point, it, he's starting to wage a war against the ju- judicial system, right. and I think he's really got to back off. I, You know, the judge has made it pretty clear that he's not going to win this. He could take it as far as the Supreme Court. It's possible he'd have a split court. You know, do we really want to be having this argument in the courts? I think what's going to happen, and this just came out this morning, is he's the, the, the White House said that they're willing to take a look at all options. So I suspect and I hope that they're going to rewrite the ban and make it a little bit more palatable for everybody, make it um, not against the Constitution, allowing people who have cards that have already been to the United States to return to the United States. And I think that's fair. He's got his hands full with a lot of other stuff going on right now. So, now, Tracy, if, if you look at the polls, actually, the, and again, I think you have to always take this with a, train, a, a grain of salt, but the polls suggest that the, the temporary ban is more popular with people than he is. That you know, when when you explain it to this is a temporarily temporary hold on immigration from certain designated countries so we can improve our vetting process in many cases because a lot of these countries don't have governments per se, they have like regimes. Um, is it worth pursuing this ban in theory? Yes, it's absolutely worth pursuing this ban, I think in, in theory, in concept. What I'm getting a kick out of is watching the courts Try to legislate, and it's it's turning it into this circus. It's turning this whole thing into a distraction, while you know Trump is going to continue to get what he wants, and he's going to reformulate this executive order, which I think he should, which I think the people spoke and voted for, and they're going to reformulate this. They're going to get it through, and if, even if it went to the Supreme Court, they're talking about the fact that 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 the the way that it was rejected. Right 
was was actually not very sound. I think they're politicizing this whole thing, and and it's it's getting out of hand. It is I, absolutely. I but I disagree. I don't think he's the courts aren't trying to legislate. They're looking at where is the law on this, and I think it's very clear but, where the law is no, on this. And it's the, from they, the they, state of Washington, D.C. Oh, Twenty states are supporting this. Twenty states, well, companies. You've got a whole bunch of people saying companies. this is ridiculous. <laughs> well, they've got they, interests involved. Well, well the, I, I think one of the things that really struck me is is I think. The, the, first of all, the rollout was ham-handed. If I were the Trump administration, I would have called you, Susie. Thank you. And said, no, sir, and say, okay, let, let, let's explain what we are doing here to, to folks. Let, let us explain what we're doing and why. Mm-hmm. And I do agree that I, I think the way it was done, th- these executive orders are so very broad that they've invited some of these constitutional yeah. arguments. You're rolling your eyes at me, Tracy. I'm rolling. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, but I'll, I'll tell you what. Be, no, because, no, well, let me explain what I mean by that. I mean, I, I agree. The president has broad authority when it comes to immigration, and I think that's appropriate. And I agree. I don't want to see courts messing with that. But this this order was so broad, it, it, it didn't say, what do you do? It didn't, it treated people, for example, who have green cards, the same way it treated people who are coming into this country for the first time. And people who are with green cards do, as a matter of law, mm-hmm. have, have some due process sure. rights. And so then afterwards, Trump says, well, we didn't mean green cards. I'm just, if you rewrite it, I think you can do away with a lot of this stuff. Now, there's still going to be, I'm not naive. It's there's still, still going to be, be a battle. Right, exactly. <laughs> what, yeah. what I don't understand is why, why can't they just take a, a deep breath and think through some of these things? I understand he's got advisors. To be honest, I think their, his advisors have different agendas. I think in the White House, you've got a few very strong voices and I think he's hearing from different advisors different messages and he's going with what feels right at the time but then he's unfortunately he's having to do a lot of damage control after the fact and he's got Kellyanne Conway and she's spinning and she's spinning and that's all she's doing is spinning I feel sorry for the woman you know she's constantly trying to make make it sound like it makes sense what they're doing whereas in fact I think there's a lot of let's just get her done and right. clean up the problem I mean, later. But you think there's advisors, or do you, do you think this is Trump? I mean, I because see that's what, what's amazing to me about this is that, and again, in principle, I agree with this ban. I could could not believe when they announced it though that there wasn't somebody in the room raising their hand and saying, "Mr. President, how are we going to deal with green card people?" For example, because people who have a legal entitlement right now to be in the country who might be from Syria, they're different under the law than somebody who's coming in. I, I just. I can't believe there wasn't somebody raising their hand and saying that. Well, maybe, and that's where you say you do take a step back. Right. But I think whatever he d- did, it was going to turn into this type of, yes, of, no of question a about circus. It. I think no matter what it said. So let's use this as an opportunity, pull it back, and pass it through. Say, fine, we made the changes you mm-hmm. wanted to see. Right. Can we get this through? And, and, and you of know course, what? that's not going to make people happy either. You're right. No, you're right. But But legally, it might make it more sound. One last thought on this is that I think Donald Trump is showing that he's willing to accept that maybe it wasn't a great decision. I mean, the the his call to Taiwan, okay, he's he's backing up on that. He basically accepted the China one country policy, one China policy. He said that was yesterday or this morning. So he's willing, I think, to admit when he's done something that is a big mistake and then take it back and go forward. So there's hope. Let me let me maybe. ask you guys about the, the huge the anti-Trump protest movement. I mean, this actually, I am older than both of you. So, I mean, I, I remember the protests in the 70s where people were united against the Vietnam War. This is, it's reminiscent of that, except people are all over the map as to what they're protesting about. Um, the, the plan right now is for organized protesters to show up at town halls being held by Republican congressmen over the course of the next month or two. It played out 
um, with one congressman out of Utah yesterday. 2,000 people show up. These are organized protesters. They're screaming. I was talking to Ron Johnson this morning, and I said, is that going to affect you? And his response was no. Are, are these protests, the organized protests, is that going to bring down Trump, or will it sort of backfire? Like, I believe the Act 10 protest backfired back in 2011. Tracy? They're going to backfire because they're, to, to your point, so misdirected, and they're all over the place. When you when you focus on something, you will get something. When you focus against things and you have all these disparate wants and needs and issues, you're just not going to get it. People are ticked off on his immigration policy. They're ticked off on his hair. They're ticked off on <laughs> Kellyanne Conway. They're ticked off on all these different things. It is, it's going to go nowhere, and I think it's going to embolden his supporters. And, you know, it's freedom of speech, and they have every right to be there and to state their problem if they can articulate it. Um, I think where where it becomes a challenge is when it becomes white noise. And so if you have those organizing these protests say, okay, now what we need you to do is call your Congress people right. and say X, Y, and Z, okay? So keep them focused. Right. Keep people calling your legislators. To, you know, this is all about how public Right. follows the protesters, right. and if they're not doing a good job organizing, it's n- right. nothing's right. going to happen. You end up becoming a group that people don't want to blow. And I mean, I think, I really believe that's what played out with the Act 10 stuff. There, there might have been some people who didn't necessarily agree with the parameters of Act 10, but they saw this, what I think was generally perceived as over-the-top reaction, people coming mm-hmm. in from all over the country and screaming, and Democratic legislators running to um, you know Illinois, and just all the reaction. At some point in time, people said, I just don't want to be part of this group. And so, okay, and, and that's, you know, and it, it made Scott Walker a national figure, mm-hmm. and it made him survive the recall. All right, got to take a quick break. Speaking of Scott Walker, he rolls out his budget earlier this week, and then after that, celibacy as a condition for probation. That will be an interesting conversation. You're listening to the Week Review. This is Jeff Wagner, Tracy Johnson, Susie Falk, News Radio 620, WTMJ. It's 1143. It's 1145, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, The Week in Review. Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson, we are live streaming this on Facebook, so you can check that out. I am the thorn between the various roses. Okay, Uh, Scott Walker unveils his new budget. Had a chance to talk to the governor extensively yesterday on the radio. Um, It's interesting. It's, It's a budget that... You know, he says, hey, we've done Act 10, we have all the savings, and now I'm going to put it back. I'm going to you know, spend money, put more money into the schools. Um, Tracy Johnson, what do you think about the budget? Well, I, I think it was a, a great a great push for his reelection, and I think he's been very open about it. Um, what I thought was interesting is just how it, it made a lot of people happy, but a lot of people very unhappy, and it's the same people. So it was just kind of this like, eh. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to have a battle with the legislators. I think the transportation funding piece, while I think it was packaged really well for the state, I think a huge miss on the I-94 corridor. Huge miss, and I think that's going to be a, a, a you're, big You're battle. talking about the the idea that we're, the, the plan to expand the freeway four lanes yep. each way from 16th to 70th Street, yep. um, and he's now taken that off the table. I, I think that's a huge miss, especially for the business community. Community in Milwaukee, and I think there's going to be a, a big battle there, and in uh, frankly throughout the state. We could talk about transportation, or I could talk about it for yeah. an hour. Well, I mean, the governor's I, I, see, I I agree, I agree in theory that it, it, if you're if you're going to do the I-94 South expansion and the Zoo interchange, you are creating a bottleneck. At the same time, the governor's point is we have a limited amount of funding, and that 
that 16th to 70th Street part is going to be tied up in the courts because you've got a lot of the not-in-my-backyard folks that don't want the expansion. So he's like, hey, if we've got a limited amount of money, let's spend it on getting the stuff done that's not controversial instead of being tied up for years in the courts. But more broadly, I think, I mean, and not just with transportation, he talked a lot about the cuts, but where are you going to find the revenue? And I think being resistant to some of those new revenue sources could come back to, to, to bite to bite him in this budget. So, you know, I think Tracy you gotta, Johnson, gas tax. Is that is that what you're telling me? That we should go the Robin Voss route and do the gas tax? I, I, I think that, well, I think okay, they should look you. at all options. I think you've got... <laughs> no, that's, no, no, no. My question is, would you, Tracy Johnson, yeah. if you were the yeah. governor, would you, you would have included a gas tax increase? Well, it has to be indexed. And I, like I said, we could talk about this. this is so multifaceted. It was, but it's simply a yes, yes or no question. You would say yes, you would increase the gas tax. I'm not Sus- running for governor. No, Su- no, Susie Falk, broader thing. What do you think about the budget? And I know, well, I know education is dear, near and dear to your heart. Education is near and dear to my heart. And so I was very pleased with the, the education funding for K-12 schools throughout the state and also for the UW system. In fact, I got a, um, edu- educators I know are also very, very happy for this. Um, some would say it's a reinvestment. You know, they've been stripped of so much funding over the years that it's about time that more money is invested in education. Um, whether, you know, whatever, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. It's it's good funding. Um, there are some issues with it, I think. Um, one is that the, the, um, the impact of the amount that is tied to the um, health care for teachers. I think that they're going to have to cough up, I think, 12% of of their earnings to pay for their health care. That's part of it is that's tethered to that initiative. But um, the overall education funding is great. The UW, interestingly enough, I got yesterday, I'm an alumni, and I received from the state lobbyist uh, a letter, a form letter to all alumni saying that we should uh, support this and, and call your mm-hmm. call your congressmen. Yes, right. <laughs> and, for in-state you know, tuition. And for, right. yeah, well, the no, and, and, and just to say to your congressional representatives that this is a, this is a fair budget where it concerns <laughs> UW funding. Um, interesting, the 5% tuition cut, though. Um, so Governor Walker, Walker wants to see the 5% tuition cut and I'm not sure that's going to make it through if you look at the big 10 schools and where we are as a system and I I'm paying tuition at UW lacrosse it's a very fair deal it's a very fair deal and so I don't know that that's going to get through another issue on on education and then I'll take it back to Jeff is this um, lifetime licenses for teachers that makes absolutely no sense and I was shocked that he threw that in there teachers is just like other professionals but they're looking at all the licenses okay well I'm sorry but teachers it, you have to stay on top of, of the profession and you do that through classes through um, to, professional development to, to me and and I asked the governor this twice <laughs> specific i mean to me the big question i think it's a great budget i, I think it's the type of budget that if you're running for re-election it's a great budget <laughs> to do um and, and the big question to me is do the numbers add up because you are you're talking about restoring all this funding and it's all based on projections that you know we've saved this money the economy is doing better and that's i guess that was the big question i had is all right it sounds great is the bottom line going to add up? Because I, I do think the governor understands that he didn't run for re-election. He didn't get elected, you know, talking about tax increases, which is why, Ms. Johnson, I think that I guess tax increase is just it's, it's just not going to happen. happen. Right. But it's, I think he's got a good legislature. Uh, you know, the legislators, I think, are reasonable. And I think they're going to come out with something that, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully makes yeah. more. OK, happy. real quick, before we take the break, this, this is one of my favorite stories of the week. Nineteen year old guy who admits in front of the judge 
that it, he's had 34 different sexual partners. He, he's 19 years old. He is convicted of sexual assault of a 15-year-old girl. Um, it, it started off, he started seeing her when he was 18 and she was 14. The mom says, she's 14, stay away. He does not stay away. Tells the judge, he's had 19, 34 different partners, he's 19. The judge says, in lieu of putting you in prison for 5 to 15 years, I, I'm going to let you out on probation. But the condition is, you cannot have sexual relations with anybody outside of marriage. So if you get married, it's fine. Otherwise, keep your pants up. All right, some people are outraged. Is that is, is that a bad ruling from the judge? Susie, okay. I'm sorry. How do you police that? I mean, do you follow the guy around? What kind of a monitor do you put on him? I can't imagine how you can actually police well, that. Well, what probably happens is, you know, he... Somebody he, rats. He, he, somebody <laughs> rats, exactly. I, That's right. This is a ridiculous thing, but this is Idaho, too, and I think it is illegal to have right. um, sex okay, so if you you're have, not married. Okay, so you have problems with what the judge did. I have problems with it. If, if you can enforce it, I don't know if there's some sort of monitor you well, can Well, that's my on. question. How do you do that? I don't know. And I'm sure he's a very ethical person, and I'm sure he would definitely follow the lo- rules of his probation. Well, see, that's, I mean, see, for other, like the ACLU types are all upset about this, and it's, you're, you know, you're denying his freedoms. Well, the, the choice is the judge could have sent him to prison for five or ten years, where presumably he wouldn't have contact with this, t- would not be in a position to have contact with at least. 15-year-old girls in this fashion. But if you're letting him out, okay, if he's really truthfully had 34 partners, I don't know. By the time he's 19. By the time he's 19. Well, he he told the judge, yeah, I mean, he told the judge that. I mean, this is not like a drunk driver, right? I mean, if you keep letting him out, they're going to keep doing the same thing. I mean, you've got to fix the problem. (laughs) He's got to get married. That's what really needs to happen, right? Or or stay in prison. Yeah. (laughs) See, see, that's the difference. You say he's got to get married. I would have just said, put him in prison for 10 years. You know, he was having sex with a 15-year-old girl. No. He did think she was 17. And, and this the is where the judge blamed no, social media. No, the, the, do you, did you read what the judge wrote about social media? Well, right. He said if he could outlaw social media, he but, would. And this is the next but, but best the mom, best, But the mom, thing. okay, right. Yeah. The, the girl yeah. said she was 16 when they met. The mom found out about this and said she's 14. Now, at that point in time, you would have thought that most people would have just, okay, moved on. No, he kept coming back. Wow. So yeah, he, he knew she was... If this was your daughter, you would have strangled that. Daughter. I would have strangled him. <laughs> we we would, right. Oh, we, you know we, would, we wouldn't be talking about, you know, condition of probation. It would have been all taken care of. Um, coming up next, we've got our Right Stuff Award. Stick around. It's 1154. This is the WTMJ Week in Review. Jeff Wagner, Tracy Johnson, Susie Falk. 1156, Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson, the Week in Review. It's time for our Right Stuff Awards. Individuals, entities, institutions that we think deserve credit for doing the right thing. Ms. Falk. CNN, and here's why. They hosted a debate over health care, and I give Senator um, Ted Cruz and Senator Bernie Sanders a lot of credit. They were very professional. They had thoughtful conversation. They they had thoughtful comments. They complimented each other on good ideas. They invited the public to participate. They engaged in dialogue. They raised some really important questions, and the answers were thoughtful. You know what? We all want to end up in the same place, good health care coverage for as many people as we can. The path to getting there may be different, but here we look at learned the two different paths and I thought it made a lot of sense. Tracy Johnson. My Right Stuff Award this week goes to the investors in the uh, 
Jarrow Group, uh, Tony Janowitz and Chuck Biller. Um, I don't know if you heard about this in the Business Journal this morning. They just purchased a plot of land right on water in St. Paul, leading into the Third Ward, part of the renaissance and the momentum of downtown Milwaukee development. Um, this is going to be a high-density project with hotel, mixed-use, uh, retail, and multifamily. So I'm really excited about it. it the momentum continues, and uh, you know we need more visionaries like this to invest in our city. And my Right Stuff Award is posthumous. Chris Cagle, who is the... Uh Owner, founder, a cycling legend associated with Wheel and Sprocket, passed away uh, Tuesday at the age of 63 after being diagnosed in September with liver cancer. Cancer sucks. Um, he was well-known to everybody in the biking community, a tireless advocate for the advancement of bicycling, and uh, showed up at lots of different events. He will definitely be missed. Okay, Brian Fraley, Steve Scafidi, WTMJ Today. What's, what do you got on the agenda? Action-packed show. We've got uh, a lot of budget talk. We've got Senator Alberta Darling coming in at 1235. And, of course, it's Friday, so we do the Friday Forum. Great guests, Rick Barrett, Jill Didier. Lots of good stuff today, John. All right, so stay tuned. WTMJ today. Tracy Johnson, Susie Falk. Ladies, it is always a pleasure. We will do it this time next week. You can watch it on Facebook Live. They also do replays and things, so you can see it. If you missed anything, check out the Jeff Wagner podcast, again, through our um, app at WTMJ.com. I am out of time. I will be back 8.30 on Monday morning when we do this all again. Have a great weekend. It's 11.59. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.